Dear Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for this moment that you have provided for us to learn from your word. We do pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to grasp and understand the truths found in the scriptures. And we pray that as we understand them, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will help us to live out uh, the very truths that we uh, uh, proclaim and that we have been taught, O oh Lord. And especially as we look at this wonderful topic of the fellowship among the saints. Please bless our time together, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So again, welcome uh, for the adult Sunday school class. For uh, the next four Sundays, the Lord willing, we shall be looking at the topic of Christian fellowship. Um, now, let me begin by just saying this, that whenever, where there are Christians, you will always find this word, fellowship. Right, isn't it? Remember, for those who became believers at school, uh, or when you were in high school or primary school, you had what? Fellowships, uh, which were the meetings that you had as brethren there. Uh, when in every church, they would say that they have a fellowship among themselves. This word fellowship is so key, I would say, and we will look at um, how important it is. It's so important that almost everywhere, not almost, actually everywhere where you find saints, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will always find the word fellowship, or you expect fellowship. But yet, even though this is something that is so important to the Christian faith, or to even the gathering of the saints, I'll have to say, sadly, we understand so little about it. People do not understand what fellowship means. Sometimes people think of fellowship simply as a meeting within the week. Others think of fellowship as a good time, isn't it? You know, we went to a boretum and we had a picnic and Oh, there was, we had snacks, and sister so-and-so brought mandazis, brother so-and-so brought some homemade uh, refreshments, some juices from home, and this other person brought this, and we had a good time of fellowship. But is that really what fellowship is? Or is that what we ought to limit fellowship to be? Because I think either we do not understand it, or we limit its understanding because we do not investigate the scriptures. We do not take time to look at what the scriptures say about Christian fellowship. And sadly, what happens is if you do not understand what fellowship is, you will have a poor churchmanship. It's one of the reasons why we here as a church have those who are struggling with their churchmanship because they do not understand fellowship. Or you end up over expecting something from the church or under expecting, and therefore you do not play your role as is expected in a local church, even when you join a membership. Again, because you do not understand the word fellowship. So I will really urge us to be here for every Sunday so that we may learn this. It's so important. It's so important, dear saints, that we cannot um, uh, but give our time to study this. This is that, uh, or we can fully understand or appreciate in four Sundays. Okay. Please don't think I'm saying that in the next four Sundays you will understand any, everything and everything about um, fellowship, but I hope we will get uh, a few nuggets, one or two things that then will uh, prompt you to study more about fellowship. So I want us to begin by defining this word, fellowship. Um, it's good that we define it, and we also look at the need. So that's the, those are the two things we're going to attempt to do today. today. We define the word fellowship, and we look at its need. So fellowship... Um, 
If you don't know this, fellowship is a word that we use lightly in our churches today, and yet it holds so much potential in our pursuit of godly living. I don't know whether you know this, but the word fellowship, uh, just keep it there, the word fellowship appears 20 times in the New Testament. 20 times, that's how important it is. If God says something once, it's important. If he says it twice, it's very, very important. If he says it thrice, uh, I don't know whether they are English teachers. I don't know whether we will say very, 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 very important. If God says something 20 times, we need to sit down and listen, isn't it? 20 times it appears in the new covenant. That's how important fellowship is. And we need to understand it. We cannot uh, simply push it away. We can't simply ignore it. We have to give ourselves to understand it. And I hope we're going to spend some time in just seeing this. So the first appearance of the word fellowship uh, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And the word fellowship is the word koinonia. Koinonia, as I've uh, highlighted it there. Um, and as we shall see, the word koinonia can mean different things according to different situations. So according to the situation, the word koinonia uh, has its own, a different aspect, dimension, flavor, that we must then see how it applies to those situations. So in Acts, I've put there Acts 2, verse 42, um, that, and they, that is the believers, this is the first church, this is the uh, I would say this is the first church to be constituted. Can you imagine that? The first church to ever be constituted. This is what we see about them. The Bible tells us, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and therefore doctrine, teaching, the reading, the preaching of God's word is so important. And the koinonia. To the look at that, um, it's so important. It's it's again. In they devoted themselves to what the scriptures, and then koinonia. Why is koinonia appearing? Uh, as something that just follows the teaching of the scriptures in terms of, uh, if I can put it this way, the, 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 the hierarchy of um, the fellowship, or the, sorry, the communion of the saints or the uh, graces that we as Christians ought to grow in. The teaching of the apostles, and then koinonia. Why? It's so important. It is so, so important. And as we shall see later, the reason why they come together is because, or it's the teaching of the apostles and koinonia is because koinonia is connected with, is connected with the teaching of the apostles. Our fellowship flows from the teaching of the apostles. Our fellowship doesn't flow from programs, church programs, because I think sometimes, again, that's where we confuse what uh, fellowship is. We sometimes think, if only the pastors had more programs for us to fellowship, to koinonia. No. It doesn't flow from a church program. It flows from the teaching of the apostles. The apostles' teaching causes us or ought to make us to fellowship with one another. So that's, um, I would say, the precedence of koinonia. It's so important. Please don't push it away. 
Don't simply think that you come to church to hear the apostles' teaching, because I think this is how sometimes we read the Bible. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Because sometimes we reduce church to simply, I hear the preaching, I'm there for the Lord's Supper, I'm there for the prayers, but then fellowships, you are absent. How can you have a, how can you have a healthy church life if you do not have fellowship? How can you say that you have understood the teachings of the apostles if the teaching of the apostles is supposed to bring koinonia? If you don't have koinonia, if you don't have fellowship, I wonder whether you have understood the teaching of the apostles. I need to just lay that down. So uh, this Greek word, um, I think it's on the next slide. Uh, let's just see. All right, uh, you can just stop there. It's okay, just go back a little bit. Let me just say something. So this Greek word, uh, koinonia, in the New Testament can, is um, translated either partnership. You will notice in the Bible, you either have the word partnership or the word sharing or the word communion. You will always find that. It's either partnership, sharing, or communion. So in your New Testament, probably when you see the word partnership or partners, it means koinonia. If you see the word sharing or share, you shared with me. When Paul says to the Philippian church, you shared with me. No other church shared with me. It's a word koinonia. Or communion, when people are coming together to, not people, the saints, whenever the saints are coming together, they are gathered. I don't know whether this applies to virtual. We'll, maybe we'll need to have that uh, discussion. Eh? Can we have a koinonia via a, a virtual, a, a screen? Uh, I would just want to hear what you guys think of that. But those three words, partnership, sharing, communion, uh, in, in a covenant relationship, in Christ, with the unity of purpose for the glory of Christ, that's what we see being represented by the word uh, koinonia. So let me just pause there a bit. If, is there any question? Is someone who maybe you need a clarification on something I said, you can take it back just a little bit. If there is something said there that you need uh, to clarify. Um, question, an interaction. Anyone? Okay, I'm assuming we've, we've all understood. All right, good. But feel free to just raise your hand as, as we go and I will, I will pause. So let us look at um, what koinonia means practically. So how does koinonia, how does fellowship look to us practically? I'm going to touch on this, but uh, we are going to be doing, uh, as we study this, I'm going to thrash it out, Lord willing, in a more detailed way. We're going to be looking at this more, but. I think after the definition of the word, definition of the word is good, we look at, since this is the, how it is defined, how does it look like practically? How do we see it being outworked practically? So the first one is um, sharing. So if you look at uh, Philippians 4, Philippians 4 and verse 15, Philippians 4 and verse 15, we see there the word um, koinonia appearing. Um, and this is what Paul says to the Philippians. And you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership or koinonia with me in giving 
and receiving. So koinonia means identifying with one another materially, or you are identifying with someone using the material blessings that God has given to you. It's an important part of a church having koinonia, having fellowship. It is not simply like uh, James says to the brethren he is writing to. He's not simply telling someone, you know, uh, I see a brother who is hungry, I see a brother who is cold in a weather like this, and I tell them, brother, be warm, be fed, God bless you. I have not fellowshiped with that brother. I have not had biblical koinonia with that brother or with that sister. If I have it, if I have it within my power, if I have it within my ability, and I do not use the material um, blessings, the material realities to help a brother, again, I, I, I want us to limit it to the church because you will notice koinonia is used for believers in the church. We shall look at that in more details next Sunday that it is something that is limited within the church. Do we give to people outside the church? Yes. You can meet someone out there and they ask you for bread and you go and buy them a bread, but that is not koinonia. That is a good work. Uh, just like, for example, as a church, we, there's a time uh, we have fundraised. We've, uh, I remember there's a time we help brethren and even the community there in uh, Rendile. With the brethren in the church in core, it was koinonia. With the outsiders, I will call it good works or mercy. Koinonia is especially limited to the church. So there is that sharing. You give, whether it's money or it could be um, someone needs clothes or someone needs a job. You know, someone comes and tells you, I, I, I just need somewhere where I can work. I don't even need to be paid. And we've had people who've come to church and told us as elders, hey, I just want to work. I really don't even expect you guys to pay me. This is my service to the church. That is koinonia. You know, you're just saying, I want to share my hands with the church. I want to share my legs with the church. I, I want to work for the good of the church. There's a material aspect. There's a way in which uh, there's a physical interaction of something for the good of another person. So this is what we see Paul saying. You guys identified with me materially. He's not saying that they did not pray for him. He says, you brethren prayed for me. You people encouraged me. But you koinoniaed. I hope I'm not butchering that word for those who know Greek. Please uh, don't uh, text me after this, but I think I can use it eh, for the sake of this one. Eh? Koinoniaed. Kenyans, we change words and make them... So let me Kenyanize it that way. They koinoniaed with him in giving, in stretching out what they had. Their wallets were engaged. Right? We need to be people who koinonia using our wallets. Our wallets can show our love for one another. So that's the first one, identifying materially, sharing. Uh, we are giving, we are using what the Lord has given to us for the good of the gospel or for the good of the brethren. Then secondly,
Secondly is identifying spiritually. So that's the word communion. You see that uh, in different places in the Bible uh, that people had communion with one another. They identified spiritually. So identifying spiritually, we see this, for example, in 2 Corinthians uh, 6, 14, and I'm sure other passages. If you have any other example, maybe you could be looking up examples so that we, we look at them. Eh? So think of a verse. You can think of a verse in your mind that speaks of koinonia in terms of sharing materially. And then also think of uh, a, a verse or verses which show koinonia being identifying with one another spiritually. So this is a bit more negative. I, I chose this as a, as a negative to show the, the, the weight of what we are talking about here. Look at what Paul says as he rebukes the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6.14. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So do not be yoked. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. The implication is be yoked with who? Who do you need to be yoked with? Believers. Do you know what a yoke is? Who has an idea what a yoke is? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's like... Um, it's something that is used to connect two bulls that are plowing a field. Such that as they plow the field, they are doing it together. And one bull can say, I think I'll take a break. Let me sit down. If one bull sits down, the other one either drags it until it wakes up or they both sit down, isn't it? They are yoked. They are tied. That's the language that the Bible is talking about as believers. We are actually yoked. Are you a member of this church? We are yoked to one another. We are yoked to one another. And that's why when we as pastors, again, please, don't be shocked when we, we tell you strongly, please, fulfill your membership responsibilities. Because if you do not play your role in, the, in koinoniering with us, and we are yoked together, guess what? You're dragging us. We are plowing a field and you're seated. And so the weight on the bull that is walking is heavier, isn't it? Maybe you will even, that bull might even break its shoulder or its neck or it will be injured. And that's what's happening because it's only a few who are serving, it's only a few who are gathering, it's only a few who are involved in prayer. It's only a few who are involved in giving. It's only a few who are involved in encouragement. What ends up happening is that as a church, we can't move because we are yoked together and, and you need to rise up. You need to take your place so that we may uh, plow together. Uh, so that's what we see uh, from this passage. Sorry, let me just read it. Uh, I got lost somewhere. Uh, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what koinonia has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what koinonia has light with darkness? For what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer koinonia with an unbeliever? Look at that. Koinonia used, uh, is it three times? Have I read it three times? Three times. Do not, do not, do not. Can Christ have koinonia with Satan? Can he? Can Christ have koinonia with Satan? He can. Spiritual. This is spiritual. This is something that is deep. This is something that is fundamental, spiritual sharing. 
identifying with one another spiritually. Again, we, we, we shall touch on this more next Sunday, but let me just say this. When I talk about identifying spiritually with someone, what Paul was warning the Corinthians is, do not think that you can say with your mouth, I am a Christian, but then functionally, your heart is given to Belial. You can have a profession, but if your profession is not proved by its functionality, there is a problem. Don't say Jesus is Lord, but yet you're going to the temple of Belial and you're there and you're enjoying time and you're identifying with them. And you're even saying, yes, yes, ah, that's so true. You know, Sometimes you see, sadly, you hear Christians talking with Muslims and they say, you know, yeah, that's something that we as Christians can borrow from you, Muslim. You guys are, are better than, than us in that way. Yeah, yeah I, see, I see your point there. There's, there's something about, yes, uh, this teaching in, Muslim, in uh, Hinduism. Yeah, I, I really like that. Really? Can you say you are a Christian and you are identifying with Buddhism? And by the way, it's happening. This warning by Paul is happening today because some churches have mixed Christ and Eastern teachings and Eastern philosophy. Some churches today here in Kenya, in Africa, have mixed Christ and traditional African tradition, isn't it? Sadly. You're a Christian, but yet you are connected to some traditional belief from where you come from. Yes, yes, you see, the Bible does say that, but no. In our culture, this is what we believe about certain things. This is what we believe about the spirit world. And you call yourself a Christian. And you are identifying with the teachings of Wazes from your community. You're fellowshipping with them. You're spiritually identifying with them. And that can't happen. If you get yoked with them, guess what? You will continue walking with them. And many have shipwrecked their faith. It's something that is being pushed more and more. You know, don't, don't accept this religion that came from the West. Yes, uh, I, I've even heard someone say this in an event. Uh, yes, you know, I'm a Christian. I am old, I am a Christian. But, you know, let's not throw away our traditions. Let's bring in our traditional beliefs and mix them with Christianity so that we have the right balance. And people love the word balance, isn't it? We need, we need just have the right balance. But then in the balance, what's happening? You end up koinoniering with Belial. Don't know whether you have seen that. Seeping in slowly, it's coming in very slowly. And some of this is being actually pushed by the intellectuals. Um, the, the, yeah, there's just something about the modern intellectual class in, I will not say even in Kenya, in Nairobi, who want to push down Christianity and elevate African traditional religion or disguise it and bring it into the church. Be very careful of that. We are supposed to koinonia with one another because we are all in Christ. Again, this is something we will see. The reason why we are yoked is because Christ is the one who has put that yoke on us. We are together. We are walking together spiritually. We are identifying with one another spiritually. 
we are all saying this is wrong. Yes, our traditions may accept it, but if the Bible says no to it, we say what? No. Because we have a master. So that's the second part um, of the word koinonia. Uh, then thirdly, so sharing, uh, sharing then communion, uh, so identifying materially, identifying spiritually, but also identifying situationally. So identifying with someone in a situation, that is also koinonia, that is also fellowship. That's how we fellowship with one another in the church. So we do identify or we do fellowship materially. Not we do. Let me, let me make it stronger. We must fellowship materially. We must fellowship spiritually. We must fellowship or koinonia situationally. So a brother or a sister is in a certain situation. For us to fellowship with them, we must identify with them in their situation. Now, it doesn't mean that we will feel the pain that they feel. If someone, for example, has been bereaved, you definitely can't feel the pain they, they, they are feeling. But you can be there with them. You can visit them. Someone who is in hospital, you go there, you visit them. Those who are in prison. Again, look at the words of Christ. Is it in Matthew? Uh, you can look up for me this passage where Christ says, I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you came to me. Why is it that Christ adds that? He doesn't simply say, yes, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. He adds the other aspect of situations. This person didn't really need your money or doesn't need necessarily your money. What they need is your presence. What they need is a call from you. What they need is that holding their, you know, putting your hand around them. And even though you don't have anything to say, you just put your hand around them. This is what koinonia looks like. This is the beauty of koinonia. Hebrews 10.33 It says, have you found that passage in Matthew? By the, is it Matthew? Matthew 25. Are you able to just read it before I read the... Uh, uh, you, you can probably give him the mic. I don't know whether you have it. Thanks, Mark. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Thank you. So three situations. I, I was a stranger, right? A situation. I, 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 I was lost somewhere. I was lost on my way. I, I was a stranger. And that used to happen in those days. They didn't have hotels. By the way, hotels have affected our koinoniary. Because these days, someone can simply come from the U.S. to preach, and you put them in a hotel, isn't it? In those days, you didn't do that. If a preacher came from Thessalonica, and you live in, Corinthia, uh, in Corinth, and they come to town, there was no hotel. You can't tell them, I've paid a hotel for you. You had to host them. Stranger there speaks of believers. Doesn't mean someone you don't simply know. It's, it means a believer from another place. They didn't have the escape we have today where we can escape from koinoneering because I have, you know, I really don't want you to be in my space. I really don't want you to, I'll, I'll put you somewhere in a hotel. They didn't have that. You invited people into your house. 
people who are always coming in and going out. You can imagine someone like Paul. He's in, uh, he's in Corinth, and then he's in Philippi, and then he's in this place and that place. Do you think he paid for a hotel? The koinonia of the saints was his hotel. He could count on the saints. And saints those days could count on one another. You would actually land into a city or arrive into any city as a Christian and you would just ask around, uh, where, where are the Christians? Because again, people didn't have church buildings like we have today. You didn't go asking, uh, is there a Trinity Baptist church? You went and you asked, you know, where do believers meet? And you are told, oh, there is this guy who is a coppersmith, uh, who is a Christian. And you would go and you would talk to him and you tell him, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm a Christian. Oh, really, you are a Christian? Oh, wonderful. Come and spend the night with me. And you are sorted for that day. And you move to another place like that. So identifying with people, so stranger, and then there was um, sick, I was sick, and you visited. And then, not, not hungry, the other one that is situational. I was prison, so stranger, sick, and in prison. Those are situational realities that Christ is talking about. We must koinonia in this way. Identifying with people. In Hebrews 10, 33. Um, this is what Paul says. I'll, I'll just read that uh, last bit of it. Sometimes publicly exposed to re, uh, reproach and affliction, and sometimes, so he's talking to them, you are sometimes, uh, sometimes being partners or poinoneering, with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison. You partnered, you koinoniered with those who are in prison. You koinoniered with those who were being mistreated. And what is, where did it begin? It began in the heart, didn't it? You had compassion on them. That's one of the biggest, uh, one big uh, aspect of Christ that we just move away from it. Or rather, we don't take time to settle there and think. When the Bible says that Christ looked at the crowd and he had compassion on them. Don't you see that by then in the Bible? Christ having compassion. Not sympathy, compassion. Visit their houses, knock at their doors. And they would get into their house and they would see how the Roman soldiers had broken the utensils and they would see how maybe they just turned the house upside down. They would see where the brethren had been beaten. They would see the marks of whips on their backs. And they would see the tears in their children's eyes or how they are scared when the door is open because Roman soldiers kicked down the door. And they would have compassion on these brothers. And they would sit down with them. They were not in a hurry. It wasn't simply, oh, let me pass by. It was, let me come. Let me encourage you. Let me spend time with you guys. And they would help them, whether it would be, let's clean up the house. Let's, let's. Let me help you. Let's pray together. Let's see how we can just, they identified with them. And they even identified with those who are in prison. Those who are thrown into prison because of their faith. At the risk of they themselves being arrested, isn't it? You would go and you would sit down. And you know, in those days, um, <clears throat> the Roman prisons, I don't know whether this happens to all, happened rather to all prisoners, but uh, what would happen is that you would be chained to a soldier. That's actually one of the ways that Paul preached to the uh, 
guard of the emperor because this person is not going anywhere. They're seated there with you, you're changed together, and so you preach the gospel to them. And so imagine you're visiting a Christian, a fellow Christian, and they are tied next to a, a Roman soldier, and there you are, and you're encouraging them. And uh, you, you also, your heart is racing because this guy might say, hey, you sound like you're one of them. And they get hold of you. But they risked it. That's koinonia. That's, that's what we are being called to. And again, this is to help us. Please don't accept the word fellowship as it's being thrown around. I think it's too lightly held to the extent that this biblical word had, has been washed down. I think it's lost. It's faded of most of its beauty and its color. I'll have to say that. I've seen it. I don't know whether you have seen it. It's so washed up. The fellowship we have these days is so flimsy. Even in the church, even in the local church. It's so flimsy, it's so light, it's something that doesn't cost you anything, something that uh, doesn't make you uncomfortable, doesn't cost you your, uh, what is in your wallet, it doesn't cost you uh, time praying for someone. We need to pray and repent about this. Any question, any interaction on this uh, before I finish up? Yes, Pastor Eric has a question um, or uh, a comment. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just to further enlarge on what you're saying. Yes. How this is a beautiful thing that today is really being shrunk. Mm. So that when we're being told, as you say, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, we're being told, be equally yoked to believers. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to propose that mm. we need to think of yoking as a positional thing among believers yeah. and a progressive thing. Mm. among believers. There is positional yoking. We are both in Christ. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we are yoked together. But then there is a progressive yoking that continues, that requires me to spend time with you, get to know what are your hopes, what hurts you, yes. what, what are your strengths. So as we do that, we continuously are strengthening and equalizing that yoke. Mm -hmm. That happens not just amongst believers, it happens in homes. A husband and a wife, yeah. having identified two brother, a brother and a sister, having agreed, you are a believer, I'm a believer, this courtship can go on, will then spend more time to continuously be equally yoked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the apostle uses four interrogatives there. Mm -hmm. He is asking four questions in quick succession. And the first question deals with partnership, the second one with fellowship, the third one with accord, and the fourth one with portion. Mm. And he's saying this th these four things are involved in mm. what we are discussing now. That's right. So he's saying, if I'm equally yoked to my brother, my sister, there is partnership that will take place. Mm -hmm. And if we think about partnership, think about business owners mm. who are partners in a business. Yeah. They are different from employees. Their attitude in the business is, I belong to you and I also own you. Mm. There is mutual possessiveness. Yeah. And uh, it's not like this church, this church near Kina Eric. Mm. The attitude is, this is our church. We're in I a partnership. here, yeah. but I also own this thing. Mm. It's, it's not just your thing, it is our thing. I want to contribute, I'm not just here to spectate. That's, mm -hmm. that's the picture of partnership. I belong to you, but I also own you. I can speak into your life with the attitude of, I own you. Mm -hmm. That's how partners behave. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm a partner in a business, I, uh, if you ask me a question, I won't answer like the employee who says, me, I just work here. <laughs> I don't know. No, I've got to think hard about mm. so partnership. Maybe because of time, I won't talk about the second one, but the third one, accord there. That word accord, symphonesis, mm. is the word from which we get symphony. Ah, you are in sync. 
in sync. Mm. It's not that you are the same. Mm -hmm. It's not that we are all drums mm. or we are all violins in the symphony. But he's saying Jesus and the devil cannot be in the same choir. <laughs> so he's saying we are in a choir. We are not the same. But whatever we are producing is a symphony. Yeah. And it provides for unity without necessarily being uniform mm -hmm. in, in fellowship. Because I may just be wooden blocks in, in the symphony, and you may be a violin, and my temptation could be to think, what does a wooden block have to contribute mm. in a symphony? But you remove the wooden block, and the, the song, the, the arrangement changes. Yeah, that's right. So I need to have that joy of saying, this is what I contribute here. Mm. And see that there is value in it. And the others see that whereas mine might be a behind the scenes contribution, it is as important as the contribution being made by somebody in public. Yeah. Uh, I might not be the higher instrument that is more complicated to play, yes. but I do something in this musical arrangement that contributes to the symphony. Mm. So that when we are talking about fellowship, the scriptures very sweetly there present the fact that we will not all be the same, but we will all contribute with the strong attitude of a partner, mm -hmm. and yet with the respect of realizing not everybody is the same here, mm -hmm. but we are all very uh, in the same direction. And finally, he talks about portion, which you talk about inheritance. Mm -hmm. We have a common inheritance. What portion does a believer have with an unbeliever? None. But a believer and a believer have the same inheritance. They have yeah. a portion they share in. I just thought to, Thank you. to bring that up so that we further chew on it and... Yeah. Uh, meditate on it at our own times and ask ourselves, mm -hmm. do I treat my brother Alex mm -hmm. as one who says, I belong to you, Alex, mm -hmm. speak into my life, mm -hmm. but I also own you. I will not see you going the wrong way and go gossip. Yeah. I'll make a beeline to you and speak the truth in love to you. And That's he'll right. do the same with me. Mm -hmm. And when I'm happy, he will be happy. When I'm crying, he will cry. Mm -hmm. Those kind of things, because we we own one another. There is, there is. I belong to you, and I own you. Kind of arrangement. I just, Thanks. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Pastor Eric. I think it brings up the aspect of, I think in the culture we live in right now, we are so into me, me myself and I, that for you, Pastor Eric, to say the word own, I mean there are people who have felt as she like. What do you mean? You know, uh, and, and yes, it's so, yet it's so true that that's why I think in the early church when a, a stranger, a believer from Corinth would come to Thessalonica, you owned this person. You couldn't allow this person to sleep on the streets. You couldn't. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, I see a hand at the back. Thank you, Pastor Dominic, for helping us to understand uh, the nature of Christian fellowship. Uh, as you've just rightly said, it has been drawn to, it has been reduced to something small, like, you know, some people think fellowship is only what we do on Sunday yeah. by talking to one another, mm -hmm. you know, small chat, chit, uh, petty talk, how are you, how are doing? How is the work? And that's over, and you have fellowship with that brother. And so I can say you have helped us to see uh, various dimensions of fellowship, which is broad and which cost us. Uh, you know, someone cannot think it's in giving and receiving, mm. in, you know, in suffering, like the church in Philippians, they they sent, you know, resources to Paul in prison. Yeah. They sent someone to be with Paul, a brother in Christ. So they were fellowshipping with Paul while he was imprisoned in, in, 
in, in, in a Roman prison. So we can see that that was a church which was in partnership and, and, and fellowship um, with, with, with uh, Paul. Mm. I can also point out that, you know, uh, our communion with one another outflows because of our union with Christ and our union with, there is a sense in which our attachment to the body of Christ as the members, we are same, we are united with one another in, mm. as one body. And so there is that union that we have with uh, members, other members, mm. which is a spiritual union. And that spiritual union brings, if it's genuine, it outworks in the communion. The same way our union with Christ mm -hmm. uh, leads to our communion with Christ. Mm -hmm. And sometimes now, yes, the union can be there, but there is no communion. So our encouragement is to commune with one another in a practical way. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Thanks for that. Um, all right. So lastly, I want us to look at something. Uh, so why do we need fellowship? Uh, why do you need to study this topic? Why do you need to be here? Uh, why not? Why is it so important that I need to take my time to teach you? You need to take your time and learn and study. Because someone might say, yes, I see it's good. It's there in the Bible. But why is it important to me? Why is it important to the church? <laughs> I, I hope by answering this question, we will then be able to continue studying this uh, topic on our own, leaving it out, praying for the Lord to grant us true and genuine uh, fellowship, koinoniering as a church. So just our four things. Uh, the first one is, why do we need to know about koinonia? It's because koinonia is a part of worship. It's part of worship. Part of our worship gathering is koinonia. You cannot divorce koinonia from the other disciplines, from the other graces. Again, like I said, when I read from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, sometimes we read that verse as, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the prayers and the breaking of bread. And we skip that second part. They gave themselves to the, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to koinonia. You can't say you are an active church member. You can't say you are part of the body of Christ and you do not koinonia. You do not fellowship. And again, that's why as pastors, when we come and challenge you, yes, we saw you at the service, but why do you have to leave every time immediately? Unless obviously it's for, uh, we do know that there are those who have providential reasons that would not allow them to stay for long. But without fellowship, I don't see whether it's true worship as brethren. And this is sadly something we see in many churches today. People come in, they sing, they hear the word, and then immediately everybody gets into their car, everybody gets to look for a matatu and show up. The church is empty. Or the people for the second service come in and they leave and the third service and they leave and you can be, I think, talking to people in Nairobi that someone can be part of a church. They've gone to that church, attended a church for five years and no one knows them and they don't know everybody, anybody. Because you simply come in and once the pastor say, says amen, you're out the gate. That's not what we see in the Bible. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to koinonia, to prayers, and the breaking of bread. 
If you're missing out on this, you're not getting the full package. You are not getting the full spiritual package. That's why it's important. It's part of worship. This is what God does show. Secondly, is that it proclaims to the world that we are Christians. Uh, 13, sorry for repeating the word world there. But it's one of our testimonies to the world. When we fellowship together, how can the world know? So Christ says, you know, by this men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. But how do you love one another when you do not meet with one another? When we do not gather? How can I love you and I am with you virtually? So hard for me to love you virtually. I need to be there with you. I need to see you. It's just something that is lost. If you, if you look at the letter, John writes to uh, the church, that, uh, his, his second and even his third letter, he says, I'm writing to you, but yet I want to see you face to face. He knew that there is something, even about him writing, that falls short of that physical love and presence with the saints. That's how we will demonstrate to the world that we are believers, how they see us fellowshipping. As we koinonia with one another, the world will see that, wow, these are the disciples of Christ. Then thirdly, it helps us to eliminate unhealthy, uh, sorry, unhealthy of a focus on particular gifts in the church. So, let me just pause there and say this. One of the ways that you know a church does not have healthy fellowship is that they have an unhealthy of a focus on particular gifts in the church. When you do not fellowship with other people, if you do not fellowship with the brethren, you know what will happen? You will have an unhealthy of a focus on pastors, isn't it? And yet, a pastor is one of the gifted people in the church. There are other people with other gifts. There are so many gifts in the church. But then because you do not fellowship, if I do not fellowship with Mark, and I don't, and I don't fellowship with Suzanne, and I don't fellowship with Emma, don't fellowship with Mrs. Mwangi, you know what will ultimately happen? I will find myself as a member only wanting to fellowship with Pastor Eric. That's what happens when there is that unhealthy of a focus on one particular gift. Please talk to other people. Yes, talk to your pastors. Interact with your pastors. But they are not the only gifted people in the church. There are other people who have other gifts in the church that will help you to grow. You need to look for other people to talk to, engage with them, talk with them, pray with them. Let them pray for you. Let's not be Catholic eh? in the way we conduct ourselves. You know, sometimes we might criticize the Catholics, the Roman Catholics, and say, look at the Roman Catholics. They say that they have priests and they confess to priests and we can laugh at them, but in practice, we could be Roman Catholics, isn't it? Where, if I get into trouble, who prays for me? Pasi. Pasi, come and pray for me. This is happening. If there is a situation that is joyful, Pasi. Don't you have, again, I'm not saying don't call your pastors, don't let them pray for you. Let your pastors pray with you. Let them interact with you. But, do you have other brethren in church that you can say, before I even text or call Pastor Eric, let me call Brother Mika and tell him of what has just happened. And let us rejoice together with him. 
such that it would even be Mika who then calls Pastor Eric and tells him, hey, by the way, did you hear that this joyful, wonderful thing has happened to Dominic? There can be an unhealthy over-focus on one particular gift or some gifts to the exclusion of others where people don't have biblical or right fellowship. We need to guard ourselves against that. We can become Roman Catholics without knowing it, where the pastor is everything. The pastor, the pastor, the pastor. And then, fourthly, as I end, it is the Bible praises and values godly friendships. I think I've said this when I preached through First Samuel, and we, when we were looking at the friendship between David and Jonathan. If there is something that I hammered and I hammered and I hammered is the place of friendships. It is sad if you are a member of this church and you do not pursue friendships in this church. Read the Bible, especially read the book of Proverbs. You will see that one of the ways wisdom is seen is someone who has friends, godly friends. Let me give you an example, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. In other words, look at a friend. A friend in certain situations is so much of help to you than a brother who is far away, isn't it? Your brother is so, some of you, your siblings, you've never even seen them, maybe for the last year, but you are constantly with your friends, isn't it? They are there for you. Biblical friendships are encouraged. It's good to have friends. It's godly. Let me repeat that. It's godly to have friends. Does the Bible tell us that Christ had friends? Did Christ have friends? Let me ask you that question. What do you think? Did he? Okay, do we see anywhere? Uh, I mentioned yes. He was his, yeah, he had a circle. Okay, that's good. Uh -huh. Yes. Lazarus. Uh-huh, good. Uh -huh. Emma? Oh, he said, okay. <laughs> Martha and Mary, he would visit them. Okay. Do you actually see where, is there a place where Christ uses the word friends? John? A friend, uh, sorry, he calls his disciples, you are my friends. You are my friends. We, we need to see that. Christ calls his disciples friends. In James, we see that Abraham became the friend of God. First love is a falling from horizontal love. Hmm. And the Lord says, if you don't repent, I'm going to take away your lampstand. Uh -huh. In other words, this would be a church that has no evangelistic influence around. The mm. world will not see them as disciples. They will not make sense evangelistically. They'll, they'll just be a club. Yeah. They'll not extend the kingdom as they could have. Mm -hmm. And a church that is not so there is a mm. the Lord that if we don't do fellowship, we won't fulfill our mission as a church, which is to make disciples mm -hmm. of all nations. That's right. Amen. Very true. Very true. Uh, perhaps uh, maybe mm -hmm. you can point uh, our fellowship is. I don't know if you planning to do this another day. Mm. as a means of grace and as how we can utilize it yes. for our spiritual strengthening. Yeah. Is it, are you? Yes, I'm going to hopefully cover that. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Mm -hmm.
there's two comments and then I'll close. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Pasi, for the um, wonderful teaching. Just one thing, mm -hmm. the second point there, the scripture reference, I think it's John 13, 35. Mm. Yeah. Oh, 35, sorry. Thanks, thanks for that. I just wanted to say thank you for this particular study because it was told to me by someone fairly recently that church is the wrong place to have friends. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't quite sure exactly where to point to to show that that was wrong. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate this a lot. Amen. You can just send them the link of this teaching. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's just close it there so that we prepare for the morning service. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to uh, have time around your word. We pray, Lord, that as we grow in the teachings of the apostles, help us that we would also give ourselves to true, to biblical koinonia in our midst, that we would fellowship with one another in a way that is genuine, that is true, dear Lord. Help us, O Lord, that as we fellowship with one another, that we would grow in our faith, that we would uh, sharpen each other in uh, our walk of this faith. Help us, dear Lord, that we would um, seek to exalt Christ and not our own name, not to live for ourselves, but to give ourselves for the people whom Christ has died for. Be with us, O Lord, as we prepare for the morning service in a few minutes' time. Bless our time together. And we pray that this day would indeed be a day that we would fellowship as brethren with uh, true and biblical knowledge. So we thank you and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much.